Hey there, it's Ron. We are proud to announce that the narrators will once again be part of High Plains Comedy Festival this year. So join us next weekend on Saturday, August 26th at High Dive in Denver for a very special show featuring our founder, Andrew Orvidal, actor Sonia Eddy, national headlining comedians Ramon Rivas and Ryan O'Flanagan, show favorites Chris Charpentier and Nancy Norton. You can find more information and buy tickets at highplainscomedyfestival.com. We will see you there. Next storyteller. All right, next storyteller. It's next storyteller. Our next storyteller. Welcome to the Narrators Podcast. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. Comedy has always been in this show's DNA. The Narrators was founded by a comic, and funny folks have been sharing stories since the very first show in 2010. Today's story comes from Christy Bukley, one of our absolute favorite comics and storytellers, talking about her relationship with the art form and booze, the substance that often fuels it. Christy's story was recorded live on July 19th, 2017 at Buntport Theater in Denver, Colorado. The theme of the evening was bars. Man, I am so excited to be here. Hello, I'm Christy Bukley. Hi, thank you. Yeah, uh, I have done the show many times, uh, and I have never gotten the opportunity to do this show and also talk about stand-up comedy. So I am just, I'm, so, I, I just want to preface my story because I don't think I was reading through it before I got up here. And I was like, I don't sell how much I love stand-up comedy. I love. I love it. So I'd love it if there's 400 people or if there's 12 people and a homeless man at a dive bar. I love it so much. I love when you're crushing and everything's hitting. I love when you try a new joke and they love it. I love when you bomb. I love bombing. That's so weird, but I feel like it is the most human experience you could ever have, and I love watching it. I love doing it, and I feel like I'm goddamn alive. I love stand-up comedy. I love it. Truly, if, my, if somebody came to me tomorrow and said, uh, you have to quit comedy or we're going to kill your dad, I'd be like, Todd, you had a good run. That is, le- that is legitimate. That's how I feel. <laughs> I have been doing stand-up comedy since 2010. Comedy has become a sort of religion to me. I rely on comedy to provide for me more than any job I've ever had. I trust comedy more than my best friend. I've confided in comedy more than my therapist, and I certainly love comedy more than any man I've ever loved. If comedy is a religion, then bars are my churches, and I have gone to worship almost every night for the last seven years. Before I get carried away with the romanticism of joke telling, which maybe I already did, I don't know, (laughs) you should also know that I come from a family of recovered alcoholics. And I myself am constantly walking a tightrope between calling my, my calling in life, which is stand-up, and the pull of, a disease of al- the disease of alcoholism that I know I am genetically predisposed to have. I don't know a single comedian who hasn't had this, to wrestle with the threat of becoming an alcoholic. They don't tell you how complicated your relationship with alcohol will become when you, con- uh, when you continue to pursue comedy. Half the time when you are a new comic, you are paid in alcohol. And until you are a person who people will pay to see based on your name, which may never happen, you are not a comedian. You are actually a very elaborate beer salesman. You're selling a party and you're encouraging people to drink because, after all, the more they drink, the more money the venue makes, and the more money you get paid. (laughs) That's how it works. 
People like to give shit to prop comics. You saw Ron earlier. It's pretty nerdy. Uh, you know, somebody who might use a puppet or some other artifact to enhance their act. I would venture to say that all comedians are prop comics. Because if you take a beer away from them, their, total, their act will totally change. <laughs> um, let me see. Um, Okay, for me, at its best, alcohol has provided some much-needed liquid courage and at its worst has been the most abusive relationship in my life. Comedian James Fritz out of L.A. puts it best in a joke saying, people tell me I should quit drinking so I can focus more on my comedy. But that's like quitting the thing I love to focus on the thing that's trying to kill me. <laughs> the line between comedy and alcoholism, it's so blurred for every comedian I've ever ever met. Uh, so now that I have set the groundwork, let me tell you a few stories about the thing I love and the thing that is trying to kill me. The first time I ever got on stage was March 27th, 2010 at Shorty's Bar in Greeley, Colorado. I, have, I had gone to see a friend tell jokes the month before and watched several men get on stage and tell jokes. They were all terrible. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I can do better. That being said, I decided that no matter how bad they were, getting on stage and sharing their stories and jokes with people was cooler than anything anyone had done their entire life. The night before I went on stage the first time, I didn't sleep. I was so nervous. When I got to the bar that night, I was so relieved to learn that I could have unlimited free drinks for getting on stage. I had several. During my first set, my hands shook and my voice cracked. It wasn't great, but I never felt anything so wonderful. I had several more drinks to celebrate the wonderful feeling. I ended up dropping and breaking a glass that night and eventually getting cut off by the bartender and asked to leave. I met every man I've ever loved in the last seven years through doing stand-up comedy but we've only ever shared our first kiss because of the courage I was given by alcohol. This isn't so much a story as it is a fun fact. I have a terrible habit of dating comedians, so my relationship with comedy and alcohol has grown even more confusing. Uh, luckily for me, uh, as longer I do comedy, I don't know. Lucky for me, I only find men attractive if they're funnier than me, and, and the longer I do comedy, there's less men who are funnier than me. <laughs> So that problem might get solved pretty soon. We used to be, uh, there used to be a show in Denver where the best comic of the night would win a free beer. The host would also award the worst audience member uh, uh, an award called the Bag of Human Garbage Award. <laughs> I was so drunk one night, I once won Best Set and Bag of Human Garbage Award on the same night. I fell down during my set and spent the remainder of my set laying on the bocce ball turf. I crushed, I crushed, but I missed work the next day because my anxiety was so high from being hungover and I couldn't get my hands to stop shaking. I remember one time being in a bar doing a show in Rollins, Wyoming. I was it was barely a show. They didn't even have a regular microphone. I had to do my jokes through a headset microphone. I was wearing like this shirt that says Denver's worst person. It felt like I was giving this terrible crowd the worst TED talk ever. <laughs> <laughs> One 
We did not have to pay for our drinks that night. They were on the house, but the crowd was so small that we were afraid they wouldn't drink enough and thus the bar would not make enough money to pay us. So that night, we let the audience buy all our drinks for us. I had to keep going to the bathroom to puke so I didn't get too drunk in a strange place, but at the end of the night, we got paid. Yeah, it's getting darker, isn't it? Okay. Um, I met my friend Michael Carter at the old 404 bar six years ago. He was one of the best comedians I ever met and I will ever see. And I watched for many years as he struggled with comedy, drinking, alcoholism, and mental health. A few years ago, he started going to AA. I know this because he met my mother there. They used to play chess together, and after meetings, he would tell her how much he loved comedy and wanted to get his head on right so we could focus on it more. I was at another bar for a comedy festival in New Orleans two years ago when I got the call that Mike had fallen off the wagon and committed suicide. I got on stage that night with my friend Sam. We told all Michael's jokes to a room full of strangers, and when we got off stage, we hugged and cried, and then we got drunk. I first met my friend Jordan Waliba at a bar open mic on South Broadway. At the time, Jordan was identifying as a man and I didn't like him. He was a drunk and he was an asshole. I was also at a bar show the first time I saw Jordan after she started identifying as a woman and began transitioning. I remember that night she was clutching her beer very nervously, but for the first time telling her jokes were genuine and good. It was clear that she was finally on the road to finding her voice. I continued to build a friendship with Jordan at different bars throughout this city. Lion's Lair, The Squire, Goose Town, Three Kings, Kingas. We built our friendship sitting on those bar stools, waiting to get up and tell jokes. We started doing a show together at a bar called El Torito in April of last year. Jordan's last show was our show the Friday before she died. She had started to get sick but decided she would rather do jokes than stay home and rest. That night, she had a few drinks, and she had a great set. Jordan's cold turned to bronchitis, and she died less than a week later of an asthma attack. I often wonder if she would have, stayed, if she would have just stayed home and rested and drank water instead of talking into a dirty mic and drinking beer all night, if she would still be here. But I know the pull of comedy, and I know no comic I know would have missed a show for a cold. Comedy has given me everything in this world that I love. I have friends who are family. I have confidence and a voice that allows me to love myself more than I ever thought I would because of comedy. And I have a purpose in life that makes me truly happy. But like I said before, comedy is a religion and bars are my churches. And it is not, is not hyperbole when I say that just like any religion, being an extremist in the church of comedy can get you killed. That being said, Tonight, after this show, I will head over to a bar on Colfax where they're holding an open mic. I will order a beer and I will wait to tell a joke and I will continue to pursue comedy, the thing I love more than anything in the world. And I will drink my beer and wonder how long it will be until comedy tries to kill me too. Thank you. Christy Bukley.
The Narrators is produced by Robert Rutherford, Mary Robertson, Aaron Rollman, and me, Ron Doyle. Our assistant producer is Sydney Crane. Our theme music is by Whalehawk. And our founder and executive producer is Andrew Orvidal. A very special thanks to our amazing sponsors, Illegal Pete's, Sexy Pizza, From the Hip Photo, and Renegade Brewing Company. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And join us at one of our live monthly shows, which take place every second Tuesday of the month at Tiger Tiger Tavern in San Diego, California, and every third Wednesday of the month at Bumport Theater in Denver, Colorado. Both shows start at 8 p.m. and are always free to attend. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter, and for past episodes, photos from our live shows, and a list of our upcoming events and themes, please visit thenarrators.org. Thanks for listening.